0: Welcome back to the Perpetual Outsider Podcast commentary for Dragonfire, Doctor Who. This is the part two of the story, which was first shown in 1987. My name is John Benasalia. Thank you for joining me. And Without further ado, let's go straight into the episode. Counting down in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, a bit ahead of schedule there. There's a turn up for the books. Right. The story so far. Uh, the Doctor and Mel have gone to Ice World to pick up a few frozen groceries, go on a treasure hunt and meet a dragon. Meanwhile, Kane is also on the hunt for the dragon as well, and save the treasure that he brings, which he needs for another purpose. Kane, of course, is the baddie. Uh, he can only function in sub-zero temperatures, put it this way. If he were to actually walk around on the daylight today, where the temperature was something like God, 27 degrees, maybe a bit warmer than that. He probably melted to a pile of gooey clothes. And it's also the first one for Sophie Aldred as Ace, who is about to get her eardrums shattered into glass by Bonnie Langford's scream from the reprise. Yeah, don't, don't say that, Ace. Don't say that. Because what happens, there aren't no such things as dragons. And there you go, you pay the price with uh, with a bonnie dagger screen. And, uh, oh god, it's, it's this wretched cliffhanger again. As far as Doctor Who cliffhangers go, this is probably in the bottom of the pile. Along with the likes of Death of the Daleks Part 3 with a mosaic of doom. Um I'm trying to think of other d- Duff Cliff Hangers, but um yeah, Time Flight Part three and Mordrean I'm Dead Part three when Doctor like wails that you know, oh the Master's defeated me or oh I've I'm, Mordred's gonna use up all my remaining regenerations, blah blah blah. Yeah, they're, they're not so good. But I think that last one just takes the biscuit really. And how, do, how does Glitz actually get him out of this? I mean, what does he does he grab the brolly, bring him up, or does he upsell down, or use levitation? What <laughs> I <like that>. Glitz <laughs> Glitz? <laughs> I do like that. Village in the doghouse, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, and any good Doctor Who badly has to come up with uh hokey dialogue like that, don't they? Be warned. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's testament to Edward Peel that he can actually make the most of that hokey dialogue and not, not make it sound hokey and actually make it sound quite threatening so. This is Glitz's crew who've been put into deep freeze, and they are now conditioned to Kane's will. They would do everything and anything that he says without question, including marching like toy soldiers. Good model shot here, actually. Yeah, the effects in this are not half bad. I know that the production values do make it look a bit like a, a light entertainment variety show, but. The effects like this of uh, iceboard are actually very good, and they certainly get their money's worth with that. And also, some of the effects in Part Three, which are, which are breathtaking. Yeah, where, where where exactly are Glitz and the Doctor? I, I'm not really kind of getting the geography there. Are they at the bottom of the cliff, or on the rise above, or what? I'm I'm just. Not getting the geography. I mean, I, I presume it's the bottom of the clip because the Doctor's just gone kind of like arse over face while trying to climb down with not really much help from glitz. But yeah, the geography's a little bit kind of off kilter there. I think it could have done with an extra scene to actually uh, um, help, it, help it along and actually kind of establish it. Maybe, maybe a long shot would have, uh, would have been useful there. But I like the double act that the Doctor has with Glitz here. Of course, in modern Doctor you still get those kind of semi regulars, you know, like River or I suppose to a degree Missy, you know, this kind of love hate thing. And uh, uh, yeah, Captain Jack, Captain Jack, of course. Um, but of course, it's. Uh, a lot more smug dialogue these days. No, I mean it's not just the fault of Doctor Who, I mean it's it's just a kind of symptom of how TV is nowadays. You know, it's like every alternate line has to be a punchline. So you get characters speaking in just not very realistic ways. I I, I just don't know. Yeah, he's, he's good, Tony Selby. Yeah, good good actor. <laughs> <laughs> One habit of McCoy's is that he does like rolling his eyes. He's just go. Where is the loss for birth I suppose if if you were being uncharitable towards Dragonfire, and I, I suppose there are quite a few out there who are uncharitable, they might say that this is kind of typical penultimate episode padding because not not a lot goes on there, there's not really any kind of significant plot shift or anything like that it, it is kind of running on the spot with you know seems like you know here we've got melon ace just about to climb down the the uh the ice cliff um but yeah not, not a great deal happens but on the other hand, you do get good character moments. We just had one with Kane lamenting the Velocity's lover, Zana, who was killed in a, a raid or something or, or an escape plan. And these days you, you probably wouldn't get that. You know, it, it probably just kind of, you know, you could press all all the action into, you know, into one 50-minute block, 45-minute block. I, I don't I don't know how long they are anymore. But the downside is that you lose not just character moments like that but quirky little moments like this with a doctor um, having a conflag with this uh, with this guard he goes against all conventions actually by being quite brainy and coming out with all these uh all these uh super high intelligent concepts and uh theories and and the doctor's trying to you know distract distracting him like that while Glitz sneaks in behind. It's you know, I mean, it it, it doesn't really add up to anything, but it's just, it's just a nice little character moment, really. Yeah, these days it's all rush, 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 and no time for quirks, really. I don't wonder whether you know, as as a whole, whether we've kind of you know, everyone's just kind of lost that kind of quirkiness, really. I mean, not not just in not just on TV, where everything is very kind of orchestrated and it's the result of lots of, you know, boardroom meetings and tea and donkeys and you know all of that, you know, lots of note taking and iPads and you know management meetings, PowerPoint presentations, that sort of thing. But also, you know, music. You know, I mean, where's the, Where's the quirkiness gone? You know, you wouldn't have got anything like, you know, Kate Bush, you know, um, Queen, or genesis or anything like that you know you know the list goes on but you won't get anything like that today i mean it's all very kind of processed and packaged and just purely with a way of making money but you don't really kind of get any of those kind of quirks anymore you know i'm, I'm just speaking like an old victim injury, really and this is another good little moment which which will probably be cut from Monday day kind of doctor who when um the doctor as a you know, and explaining that she'll always be in in Cain's thrall completely, you know, because of because of that mark, you know, that he left on her. You know, it's, it's not just a, a physical mark on on the palm of her hand, but also a mental one as well, which suggests that um suggests God Sean Connery's invaded the house again. Which kind of, well, implies that, um, you know, implies Darker Moments, I think. And McCoy acts, acts it really well. It's it's a good little kind of quiet fury speech that he does here. Were you worth it? Yeah. And I think along with this one and Delta and the Bannerman, you know, I think there were moments in Delta and the Bannerman where there's this kind of little bit of melancholy coming through for, uh, for the Doctor, the seventh Doctor. And of course that will come to fruition in the, uh, in the final two seasons. As for you, your debt are cane, I don't think you could pay it off, never. Yeah, good line. Yeah, Ian Briggs' script is good. When, when he doesn't have to go on about bilge bag and naff and mega naff and all, all of that, it's a, it's a good well-written script. Glad he came back to The Curse of Theron, which is one of my own son's favourites, actually. Dominic Lynn's music is a massive improvement from uh, uh, the Kef McCulloch stuff, which, I'm sorry, is just not... Not for me, I'm afraid. It's just... You know, way, to, way too dancey and uh, just way too 80s, really. This, this is a, a little bit more... A little bit more dramatic, I think Dominic Glean's story. score. It's a it's a great score, actually. I think he's probably one of the most successful composers of the eighties. He does some great work, especially on Survival. Really, really great work there, um, and also in um, Happiness Patrol. I think he, you know, that that's not one of my favourite stories, but it, it does have a great incidental score. That one really, really goes well with the kind of off-kills her, kind of, off-beat nature of the squid. Um, But this is great. Oh, uh-oh. Careful of her dragon. Oh. <laughs> of course, it's the whole classic thing of the... Um, you know it's it's not a bad monster it's a good monster i mean it's uh you know that's a classic staple and also in sci-fi as well you know something that you think is bad actually turns out to be good god elf and safety would have had a would have a fit of that sort of sequence you know oh my god watch out for those sparks flying at the doctrine glitz i mean there's one i think it's earth shock when um yeah, it's when the uh, cybermen are firing guns all over the place and there's sparks flying everywhere, and it actually catches Janet Fielding in the hair, and she uh, gives a very, you know, very uh, notable scream. Yeah, health and safety really uh, would go to town on this. <laughs> Which yeah makes sense. Which I suppose makes sense, but you know because you don't want your lead actors to end up in hospital. You know. Apart from anything, you know, because of a you know big. Uh, big payout financially as compensation. But also because it you know, it screwed up the um you know, screwed up the recording as well. Oh we sorry, we had to axe Dragonfire because um our leads got um a load of sparks in the face. Yeah that music's good that kind of da 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 you know that sort of mechanical march. Drumbeat. Cain's Merc uh well yeah glitz's X Cream but now Kane's Mercenaries. I'm not sure what the viewing figures were for this. I think it was probably about four or five million you know, which is is not bad considering it's up against Coronation Street. And it's also, of course, a dark site better than the viewing figures that the show's getting at the moment. Which, unfortunately, is is just the way that TV works these days. I mean, you don't just base it on first nights, you know, because the way that we look at TV these days has just changed completely. I mean, now it's just streaming and catch-up and iPlayer and all of that. So... But mind you, even taking all of those into account, I mean, the ratings for you know for the the recent series of Doctor have not been especially good. Whether or not Davis can uh, turn it around, I don't know. These are some more more good character moments, especially for Bellage. You know, she you know this kind of range of. Essentially, selling herself to Kane at sixteen. You know, when she, you know, she's at an age when she didn't know better. So she's now conspiring with uh, Krakauer to actually do something about it and actually kill him. Bit of stupid design, though, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, places. You know, there are places that you know where Kane can go where he's he still offering. It's a bit of a stupid design of that um, that freezer chamber that he that he goes and lies in like a coffin. I mean, even even that's pretty stupid design because you can actually raise the temperature of it. I think he should he should uh, demand his money back from where he bought it. He he probably bought it elsewhere. Nice, well, it's probably a nice, well, you know, sort of uh, electrical department store or something. Yeah, Ace is getting more of a. She's getting a lot more character as well, you know. She's, you know, explaining her backstory about, you know, how she ended up here, how she's got no parents, that sort of thing, and uh, yeah, she's she's a lot more well-rounded um, than, you know, Saint Mel, who unfortunately came onto the scene with no introduction at all, really. I mean, she was just, you know, you know, slap bang in the middle of terror of, a, you know, of the trial of a time lord. Just there at the beginning of Terror of the Verboids, you know, extolling the virtues of characters with no explanation as to who she was, where she comes from. Um, and maybe that's why her character wasn't wasn't really that successful at the time. Um, but Ace, yeah, Ace does, does get some good character moments. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot more care being taken with her character, you know, on on paper. And it's it's certainly well brought to the screen by Sophie Aldred. I, I, I think she's great, Sophie Aldred. And like I said before, I, th- I think um, Sylvester and Sophie, I think, are one of the most successful doctor companion teams. I think when you know when the actors get on in real life, I think that always helps. You know that kind of it brings that extra kind of warmth to the screen. You know, like with John Pertwee, Katie Casey Manning, uh, Patrick Chou and Fraser Hines, and Wendy Padbury, Tom Baker, Elizabeth Sladen. You know it it goes on. You know. And that warmth always kind of translates very well to the screen, and it it I think it results in, uh, you know, re- really good partnerships, <laughs> really good companion te- doctor companion teams. See the last episode, this corridor was lit in blue, and now I, I presume it's meant to be day. I d- I d- do they have concept of day and night on on ice world? I don't know. They probably have to make their own kind of artificial. Day and night like we do um, on the moon in the uh, the moonbase story. We have to have an artificial day and night, otherwise they go, you know, everybody would go mad. But yeah, this time it's quite brightly lit and it looks a little bit more, you know, night entertainment, doesn't it? <clears throat> yeah, maybe uh, maybe a few more shadows needed to give this uh, give this scene a little bit more menace, I think. Otherwise it's just a, an angry mercenary pointing a gun at Kane, uh pointing a gun at Glitz something. Came, like I said, it's boiling hot, and my brain is just not functioning. (laughs) I'm just picturing a drunk glitz. (laughs) I don't don't think he'd be fun to be around. (laughs) He'd be up there, you know, sort of singing songs very off key with some of his voice and. Doing a conga with his mercenaries. Yeah, I can actually picture you know Glitz and his mercenaries doing the conga or something. You know, something like that. You know, around the spaceship. Obviously, he, he doesn't have very fond memories because Glitz always are the best of the pickings. Oh, where's where's a handy dragon when you need one? Oh, look, there's one right there. I mean, it is it is obviously a guy in a rubber suit, but. The design of it looks quite good, I think. Especially, yeah, I mean, the uh, the the mask for it, I think, I think works quite well. I suppose this kind of, you know, dragon. I mean, it doesn't really look much like a dragon. Um, it, it works better than say, you know, like the Shrievensale in the Rebus operation, which looks a bit clunky. Oh. The Liberace statue's gone. I mean, to be honest, that's no great loss. <laughs> Sack the sculptor. Oh, he did worse than that. He actually killed him. I would have done the same as well. Why doesn't Krakow just run? <laughs> actually, I think that the statue, the melted statue, was a big improvement. Who has desecrated the monument? Ooh. <laughs> oh, crocower getting in a cold sweat there. Yeah, it's got. Yeah, I mean, it's, for all its um, kind of light-hearted nature and you know easy-going kind of world, but it's got quite a high high body count. This one, isn't it? I mean, because crocower and Belange is about to. Get bumped off in a minute by Kane. Kane of course later in the story. Um the, um, the oh what's his name? The Stuart Organ character. Um He gets bumped off and so does his Butch partner. Is that Daphne Oxen, Oxenford I think? Telling the story? <clears throat> Archives. I wonder if there's any missing Doctor Who episodes in, in Kane's archives. I, I, I bet. I bet he's got the whole lot. I bet he's got you know every single missing episode that he can. He can just watch over and over again he wants. <clears throat> I quite like the effects. The hologram effects for that. Though. They look quite well on. Oh, I like Bellarges. <gasps> You know, sort of, Oh my god, Krogao hasn't killed him after all, kind of jump there. And she probably realizes that uh she's not long for this world. Yeah, I don't believe a word of that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's quite a scary villain, um, Kane. Um, I mean the um Don Henderson Don Henderson's Gavrook I think is you know, he, he, he was a good villain actually. He's you know, well played by Henderson. He actually underplayed it as well. But yeah, like I said before, I think Edward Peel easily steals the show out of his uh, this season's pick of villains. He he just underplays it to perfection really. I mean, it's it's just a wonderful performance. Yeah, I, th- I think that we're moving away from that kind of hammy sort of pantomime badly I think they're all, in the later, Maca- you know, as uh, in the later years of the 80s, I think there were more kind of underplayed villains, you know, like you've got Dr. Judson in because of family. And also, um, uh, Sorin in because of family, I actually, I can think of it. Um, Ratcliffe in Remembrance of the Daleks is another good one. Loads in Grady Show of the Galaxy, you know, the Chief Clown, that was a great, Great example, William we Reddington's Cheap Clown. So I think they were moving away from that kind of, you know, um, J&C's encouragements and maybe kind of ham it up a bit, like they did with, you know, for example, The Master. Of course, The Master in Survival, you know, world of difference apart from, you know, like the early 80s, mid-80s portrayal of The Master. So obviously they were moving away from, you know, that kind of trend of, you know, Hammy baddies, which to be honest, I, yeah, yeah, they're, they're fun, you know, the great fun, but are they as convincing as somebody like Kane, who um, could have made a real meal of that last line, but doesn't? You know, he underplays it to perfection. Well, that's the end of part two of Dragon That that went quickly, actually. That was actually the third attempt that I recorded it. <laughs> the first time, the um, the software. Just suddenly froze on my computer, and the second time I was interrupted by the uh, by the postman. So it was third time lucky. So uh, I'm I'm glad I actually got this one in the can, as it were. Yeah, it's uh, it's trotting along nicely. Actually, Dragon Fire. It's a uh, it's a it's a good little story. I, I don't think it's as uh, as bad as some of the fans uh, make it out to be. But anyway that's enough from me i uh, hope you enjoyed the commentary i will be back for the uh, for the final parts very soon um <clears throat> excuse me before my voice goes completely i will sign off now by saying goodbye from me john Salia. goodbye